Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Well, there's a place on this church property that I've gone to from time to time. It's the high place. Don't take that wrong. We're not talking old covenant and idolatry, but it's the high point of the property. Um, out this window, top of the hill, and you can see there's a, a scraped out area. Um, at times, it's been filled in with rocks and debris, but it's newly scraped out from time to time over the many years I've gone up there to seek the Lord and sit down in the dirt and, uh, and pray. Um, about eight or nine years ago, I was up there looking out over the city and the lost souls, and the need for gospel witness, and, and uh, just praying for the harvest, but then also looking over at all of our church property, you can see it all, all the buildings, and looking at the church property, and parking lots that were disintegrating, and shingles coming off the roof, and leaky, leaky roofs all over the property, and, and looking at the two, dear God, this city needs you, needs the gospel, but Lord, look at our, our church. Look at our, the physical property of our church. And at the same time, our church was broke. Actually, we were in debt to our vendors. And just struggling with the Lord of, God, what, what are you going to do about this? Well, about a year later, uh, a salesman came through. And he was a salesman for a roofing company. And he had walked our property and, and got an appointment with me and said, Pastor, I think that your insurance company would pay virtually 100% to have all of your buildings re-roofed. And it sounded too good to be true, but sure enough, he, he went to bat for us with our insurance company. And a few weeks later, an insurance adjuster from State Farm came out and walked the property and told us that they would cover over 90% of re-roofing all of our buildings. It sounded too good to be true. I was convinced there was some hidden cost. And I asked him, won't our insurance premiums go through the roof? He said, sir, that's illegal. Um, insurance companies cannot do that just because you make a claim. And at that point, I had run out of vision and understanding, and so I took it to the elder board. And understand, an elder board filled with wisdom, businessmen, and uh, doctors, and a lawyer, and uh, guys who worked in real estate. And we hit this thing around, and we looked at the contract, and we could not see anything wrong with it. He said, that's a great deal. Let's pull the trigger. Let's go forward with that claim. So a couple months later, the work began, and it was awesome. There was like three layers of shingles and all kinds of stuff on this building, and they stripped it all and uh, re-roofed the, the buildings. And uh, at the end of the process, this roof leaked twice as much as before. Listen, there, were, there was one Christmas Eve service that I remember it was raining outside and we had to move guests around. Now it was double. It was terrible. And we started to, to, to remediate that and it's a process, it's fixed now, that's not the point. But we're thinking like, uh, it's not as good as it seemed. 
Three months later, it got worse. I got a letter from our insurance company stating that because we were a bad business prospect, they were dropping our coverage. So in the end, our roofs leaked even worse, and we had no liability or property insurance. Completely uncovered. We knew there had to be a hitch somewhere in there. Somewhere buried in, in the fine print or policy. I thought it was more of a contract. Like we promised you and we're paying our bill. You have to honor this. Our contract is not expired. And they said, that's not how it works, sir. Uh, this is a business deal for us. And, and so the, the point being that hidden somewhere in there, we discovered what's called the law of unintended consequences. You can never see them all. You can never uh, forecast. You just know that it exists. Because life is made up of confusion, ambiguity. There are surprises and unintended consequences. Would it be terrible if our faith was the same? Meaning, what if we're all just doing our very best and, and almost rolling the dice? We think it's the best thing, but we're in for a rude awakening. Can I just be very clear that Jesus is not ambiguous? Jesus is not confusing. There are no surprises and there are no unintended consequences with Jesus. And what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is clarity. So that we don't one day wake up and say, I wished I would have listened. I wished I would have obeyed. I wished I would have heard him and trusted him. So this morning, I, I frame it that way because Jesus is going to tell us some very direct information that we do well to listen to, to believe, to take to heart. And lo and behold, we can take it to the bank. It is secure, it is sure, it is solid as the resurrection itself. The teachings of Jesus. We return to the Sermon on the Mount, to a text that we began last week. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, if you have our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. And in this section, actually in the Sermon on the Mount, he covers what I see as the Western world's Three greatest blind spots, or I would say, the Western world's three greatest idols. Two of which have absolutely invaded the Western church. What are those idols that Jesus has mentioned and is dealing with specifically in this text? Sexual immorality is the idol of our age. It always has been, but the sexual revolution and what's going on now, it's so clear. That is idolatry. And by the way, it's infected many individuals. At least the church has taken a, a clear stance, or some churches have. Others have gone the way of embracing and affirming all kinds of sexual immorality. That's not what we're talking about today. The other idols of our days have been embraced and even celebrated by the church, smack dab in what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 6, the twin idols of public image and treasures on earth. 
money and wealth. And this morning, Jesus loves us too much. He doesn't want us to waste our lives chasing unworthy gods. And so, as clear as can be, without ambiguity, in fact, I would say highlighted, underlined, italicized, punctuation marked, Jesus wants us to hear clearly what is at stake. No confusion, ambiguity, surprises, or unintended consequences. He spells it out because he loves us. So here's where we're going to double back to this, the text that we started last week. And we looked at it as a conclusion to the previous 18 verses. The idol that Jesus addressed there was the idol of public image. To be seen by others and praised by others. That was the earthly treasure that he was concluding on. This morning, he is opening up uh, the twin idol, the other idol, the other uh, lesser god of our age that has infected the church, the false god of money. So here, jumping in the, te- in the, the text, you'll, you'll be familiar with verse 9 through 12. It's what we looked at last night, and then we're going to go all the way through verse 22 and 23 and then 24. So this is what he says. Do not... And we learned last week that behind this English, lay up, is the Greek word treasure up. Do not treasure up for yourselves treasure. On earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and seal. But treasure up treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and seal. For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. And so in rapid fire succession, five times, treasure, 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 treasure. Last week, as a conclusion looking back, the treasure of praise and popularity and being seen and honored and recognized, invited and included, appreciated. And this morning, as we look forward, we will see rapid fire Progression, treasure, 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 treasure. We're talking about treasure. So he goes on in verse 22. An enigmatic statement, which means mysterious. We'll come back to and explain it. But he says right here in this context that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, that word healthy we're going to come back to a little bit later. Really, really interesting word there. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, we'll look at that word as well. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then finally, verse 24, where we know that he's talking about earthly treasure being money. This is what he says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Money. No confusion, no ambiguity, no surprises, no unintended consequences. Only bold, clear, underlined. Uh, What he is talking about is irreversible, uh, irrefutable, and unavoidable. He loves us so much he does not want us to wake up one day in this life or the next with regret. So he says it as clearly as as is possible. And what does he say? It's the, really the title of our message today that, that uh, only 
only a single-eyed devotion on Christ and his kingdom, the things of heaven will result in what we're actually looking for. Only single-eyed devotion to Christ and his kingdom will we experience all that he wants for us, and without it, we will absolutely experience the law of unintended consequences and regret. But what does a single-eyed devotion actually mean when so many parts of the scripture tell us that we must live in this world, we must handle treasure, money, we must steward it, we are not called to all give everything away one time and have nothing left and then live as homeless people. He does not tell us to do that. In fact, the scripture again and again teaches that we are to work hard, that we are to actually gather treasure. It actually teaches that, that we are to have something to share that we were to steward it well, we are, in a sense, to take care of business. How do we do that where Jesus says no one can serve two masters? In fact, a couple examples. Psalm 112.3 says that in his house, the righteous man, the godly man, the wise man, in his house are treasures and uh, Riches and treasures, wealth and treasures in his house and in his righteousness. He's a good guy. Endures forever. Proverbs 13, 22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You want to be a good man? You got to think about your grandchildren and how you can set them up appropriately in this world. Rather leaving them destitute. And you go, oh, those are Old Covenant. Those are Old Testament. That's a different idea. Going in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul says to Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, in order to provide, you've got to have assets. You've got to be able to handle wealth and treasure. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his own household, he has actually denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So how in the world do we walk between those truths, what is single-eyed devotion with that in mind? And let me say what it's not. It does not mean to be reckless, lazy, or ignorant concerning money and wealth. Jesus does not prohibit ownership and private property. That is Karl Marx, not Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? We absolutely need to work hard, generate wealth, save, build, and manage it. But what Jesus is teaching against, what single-eyed devotion is about, is the selfish, short-sighted, non-strategic accumulation of, of earthly treasure. It is the foolish Christian who believes that life consists of his wealth. It's a man who is characterized by selfish, non-compassionate, extravagant living. It's all for himself or all for herself. And in fact, we have this great, going back to 1 Timothy, later on, at the, the last chapter of 1 Timothy, uh, it's a conversation between the Apostle Paul and uh, a bishop of Ephesus, where he's telling this bishop, this, this pastor named Timothy, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. So wait, really quickly here. 
there are wealthy Christians in Ephesus in the church. And Paul is telling Timothy how to disciple them. And I want you to note, he doesn't say, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and follow Jesus. For some, that's like a real call. But what Paul tells Timothy to disciple them in is for everyone. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That's arrogant. Look, I'm smart. I tried hard. I worked hard. You should be more like me. Everyone should be as successful as me. Here, let me show you because I'm great. Haughty. Charge them not to be haughty. And then here's the real key. Nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. This is what the, the, the lack of single-eyed devotion is. You actually think that that's the point and that that's what matters and the security that wealth brings is your heart and your hope and you love Jesus. And Paul says to Timothy, don't tell them not to do that. Uh, riches are uncertain in this world, but set their hope on who? God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Okay, so it's, it's not that you don't have, you have it and that it's bad. The wealth isn't bad. The problem is where the hope is set. Love this statement by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, uh, these things, treasures on earth, wealth, money, these, they do not become the center of my life and existence. I do not live for them or dwell upon them constantly in my mind. They do not absorb my life. On the contrary, I hold them loosely. I am in a state of, and remember this, blessed detachment. Can it be said any better? You have to touch them. And yet your heart is not attached to them. Your hope is not in them. This is not where your eye is focused. Blessed detachment from them. I'm not governed by them. Rather, do I govern them? And as I do this, I'm steadily securing and safely laying up for myself treasure in heaven. Men and women, we must foster in our own lives, a blessed detachment from the things of this earth, temporal things, things that, that want to be Lord of our lives and hearts and our affections, make us feel if I just had a little bit more, I could make rent, and that would make me happy. If I just had a little bit more, then I would be secure for retirement, and that would bring me joy. There has to be this blessed detachment even as we engage in these things. So that's what the single-eyed devotion means, the blessed detachment. But what is at stake? And so the remainder of the message, I want to drill down on three things that we need to pay attention to out of the teaching of Jesus here. First off is this, and it's really a review of last week, but a single-eyed devotion to Christ and his kingdom yields enduring treasure in heaven. Don't mistake it. Every single person you know is amassing some kind of treasure. There's no two ways about it. We're living for something or someone. We're amassing treasure. What is different is what the eye is fixed on and what the heart delights in. Earth, in this text, where guaranteed moth and rust disfigure and thieves break in and steal, or a guaranteed safe bet... Heaven where neither nor, I love that language, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
And so that's the choice. There's a guaranteed on one and a guaranteed on the other. Guaranteed to let you down, disappoint, and disappear. Uncertainty of riches and the other one guaranteed for all eternity in the bank of heaven. Coming back to what Paul wrote to Timothy, because it's fascinating. You know what I just read about warn those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or set their um, hearts or, or hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. The next verse not only tells us how, uh, but what, what the rich can do to convert earthly treasure to heavenly treasure, where he says, they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. Now as to that earthly treasure, be generous, ready to share in what's the result Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. What's the future? The future, I believe, is heaven. Okay, so what's the idea? Wealthy people have an opportunity to invest earthly things of wisdom and time and energy in loving people and their financial assets. And they can actually use those things, temporal things, for eternal things. And so we have good works and, and loving people and giving uh, assets and funds and, and sharing stuff. You're not even transferring ownership, but you're saying, yeah, use it. It's, yeah, break, I, if you break it, I can get another one. There's a real open-handedness to this kind of person. As they are doing this, they are investing in God, his kingdom, and the souls of others. In fact, we could even simplify that. And say, what do we do to, to store up treasures in heaven? Can I tell you, anything that we know, according to the scripture, that lasts into eternity, give your life for that. Fix your eye on that. Yes, you've got to go to your day job. And it might lack some of these things, but you can exercise these things even in that drudgery of a day job. What are those things that we know the scripture says is eternal? God. God is eternal. Your relationship with God, intimacy with Christ, your quiet time, your Bible reading, your scripture memory, your prayer life, those things are eternal. And when you do that and you press into Christ, you are banking up in eternity. Treasure where neither moth nor rust destroys, thieves don't break into seal. God, God's word. God's word says about itself that it is eternal. So all the time and energy that you you study it, enjoy it devotionally, unwrap it, uh, systematize it if you're given to that, read about it, teach it to others, that as well is storing up treasures in heaven. The character of Christ in your life as you meet with God, as you apply scripture in your life and you go, I'm still not there, but you know what? God is doing a hidden work of grace in you. He's making you more like Jesus. Guess what? That's going to last for all eternity. And then finally, anything you do to help any other human being take one step closer in their walk with Jesus Christ. It could be the atheist moving them off of atheism to agnosticism. One step, uh, seven, eight steps before conversion, and yet you are helping them move toward Christ. That's called evangelism. Lost souls, but don't think it stops there or that there's this hidden line of, oh, click over, now this is discipleship. No, it's all the same in this context. You're investing in the souls of other people no matter where you find them. 
Christian or pre-Christian, and you're just helping them love Jesus more, you're investing in them. That will last forever. And not even the fruit that is seen, it's the effort, energy, and passion and prayer that you put into it is being banked up for all eternity. Treasure not up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but treasure up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Wow, you know, what if you go too far? What if you miss your best life now? What if you accidentally overgive? What if you give up a great opportunity that was on your bucket list and that opportunity never comes back around again? I, I am a living example. I have things that I wanted to do, but the time was wrong. And I said, not never, just not now, but maybe not ever in this lifetime. And I said, no. And I go, should I have done that? I'm never going to get that invitation again. And I've foregone that. What happens if we accidentally overdo it? That second house, that dream vacation, that cruise, and we use the funds to support a missionary, or, or we stay home and invest in our wife and our children from that glorious adventure. What then? What then? Guess what? God is no debtor to man. I promise you this. You cannot outgive God. And you will not get it back in this life, perhaps. But guess what? You can never lose it in eternity. When you make first things first, and you sacrifice, and you forego, and you go, but I lost my life. And guess what? You will absolutely find it in the end. I love what C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce. He says, I believe to be, be sure that any man who reaches heaven will find out that what he abandoned here, even plucking out his eye, was precisely nothing. That the kernel of what he was really seeking, even in his most depraved wishes, will be there, beyond expectation, waiting for him in the high countries. That's heaven, men and women. That you cannot outgive, outsacrifice, outserve. Be overly generous, and that we are to treasure up treasures in heaven. Well, it gets even better. Not only will it result in secure treasure in eternity, I'm telling you on the words of Jesus without ambiguity, in clear language, Jesus says, and it will go better for you in this life. That's what I believe is meant by verses 22 through 23. Let's break it down. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Stop there. The word for healthy um, comes from this word that the primary meaning is simple, single, or whole. Health and goodness is a secondary meaning. So I like, for the first time ever the King James Version, better. It says single. If the eye is single or singular, focused on one thing, what's the result? The whole body. This is our temporal existence. This is where everything takes place. If that eye is single on the right thing, the whole body is animated with light. Light's always a good thing in the scripture. Energy, vitality, joy, Lift, meaning, purpose. The life is full of energy. But if your eye is bad, the word in the Greek, poneros, uh, means full of labors, annoyances, 
hardships and the idea of like anxiety, scattered, diffused attention. Oh my goodness, look at all these things. I'm just, I gotta, gotta make, make my bills. I gotta, you're just scattered. Your vision is scattered. Like a compound eye of a fly. You see like 10,000 things and you want them all. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. He's saying it's just a better journey of life to have a single-eyed devotion on the things that matter and have meaning. And you find those people full of life and energy and, and vitality. You find them, they are robust people. They are resilient people that when things go bad, they go, yes, these things are terrible. My single-eyed devotion is on Christ and his kingdom. I must pay attention to these things, but my eyes are upon him. And you find those people again and again keeping their eyes off the waves, off of the blots and spots, and on to the goodness and the character and the nature and promises of God. And I'm just telling you, the whole life is full of light and energy and vitality and lift. Some of the most joyful people I know are single-eyed followers of Christ. Many of them are in full-time ministry, but I know many who were doctors and lawyers and businessmen, and that did not rule their life. Jesus Christ did. So their ability to keep the main thing the main thing, God, his word, his kingdom, Christian character and development and integrity, and the souls of others came first over the bottom line in making money. And these people have this joy and this life in them. You get this picture um, from Lord of the Rings, Schmeagel, right? He was just an ordinary hobbit who found the ring of power. And the ring of power gave him everything in this lifetime that he wanted. But over time it corrupted his soul. And by the time we catch up to Schmeagel, he is Golem. Full of greed, anger, dishonesty, deception, manipulation, and fear. His single eye turned into a scattered, anxious, diffused vision of what life was about. And it corrupted him. And the same thing can happen to us. That if the eye is bad, the whole life becomes full of darkness. The siren's call of that earthly treasure corrupts our soul. This is reflected once again in 1 Timothy 6. We've talked about the rich in this world and to store up treasure for the age to come. But that text actually ends with this word, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Because wealth has this, this deceptiveness about us to say this is what life is about. And it's not true. But when we make first things first and we focus on Christ and his kingdom and we are open-handed and these lesser things remain lesser things, we actually lay hold of that which is truly life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you will get neither. So succinct. You say, can't I have a little bit of both, you know? Diversify, have my cake and eat it too. I mean, no one's perfect. And the upstart took all of my energy. 
I didn't go to church. I didn't pray. It was 24-7. You hear entrepreneurs talking that way. What did it take? Wholehearted, wholehearted devotion. And you, at times, isn't that the way it works? And then over time, as things get up and going, you know, you can be more generous. You can go back to church. And, and we do a little bit better over time. And, and can't I do that? And listen, I wish I could say that's okay. I wish I could say try a little bit more today than yesterday. Do a little bit better. You know, kind of ease into this lordship thing. Ease into this single-eyed devotion. I wish I could say that. Problem is that the words of Jesus give me no latitude. None. And he is crystal clear. Unambiguous. And this is what he says in verse 24. No one. Emphatic. Who? No one. No one can serve two masters. What's going to happen? He will hate the one, love the other. Be devoted to the one and despise the other. Notice the, the emotionally charged language, love and hate. Devotion and despised. And then the emphatic nature of this final word. You cannot. Impossible. You cannot serve God and money. Again, wealth is not the problem. The heart attitude toward wealth is. And what is Jesus getting at when he is saying this emphatic speech and and Xing out all options? What is he saying is this, and it's the final fill in the blank um, before the bottom line, dual allegiance. And we think that we can actually spread it out. It's actually single-eyed devotion to an unworthy master in disguise. You can't do it. So like Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. And Joshua said at the beginning of, or the end of Joshua, but ask for me and my house, ask for me and my heart, ask for me and my eye, we will serve the Lord. Let me give you the, uh, the final Jumping over to the bottom line for the sake of time and getting to communion and some more things we want to do. Here's the bottom line of our message today. Only, only single-eyed devotion to Jesus will endure. You've heard the, the line of the poem, one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You say, but then I'll lose my life and I kind of want to do some fun things here. Guess what? Good news. Single-eyed devotion not only will endure into the next life, but it will bring flourishing in this life as well. The most robust and joyful people I know are people that are wholeheartedly committed to Christ and kingdom. Only single-eyed devotion to Jesus will endure, bring flourishing. And finally, Jesus is the only worthy master As human beings, we were created to have a master. Notice the metaphor is not an employee, an employer. You can work for more than one employer, but you cannot have more and be owned by more than one master. We were made to have a master, and the only proper master is the creator God of the universe. All these other things, sexual immorality, public image, or money, are unworthy Masters, 
So bottom line again, only single-eyed devotion to Jesus will endure, bring flourishing, and is worthy of my affection. No confusion, no ambiguity, no surprises or unintended consequences. Are you in? It's between you and Jesus. What do you do this week to declare his lordship? Set your eyes firmly on him to open your hands and your hearts to God, his kingdom, and others and live for that audience of one. Now, in a, a moment after a song, and the band can come up now, I'll, I'll lead us out in prayer in a moment, but if you want to come up, um, what is the intersection between what we just looked at and celebrating the broken body and shed blood of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ? Talking about a single-eyed devotion and, and a blessed detachment from the things of this earth and the the benefits and blessings and good things of this life, and only he is worthy. What's the intersection? And I'm going to tell you, the intersection is really simple. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And the idea is this. You think we have so much to lose, so much to sacrifice, so much to give. Oh, no, oh, no. What if I lose my life? Well, guess who went first? And guess who went farther than you will ever go? Jesus the Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, rich beyond your wildest imagination, yet for your sake he became poor. Even to death on a cross. So that by his poverty we might become rich. Eternally. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your grace and goodness and your kindness. Jesus, thank you for going first. Jesus, thank you for going farther. Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead, demonstrating that, Lord, no sacrifice, no act of generosity, no uh, declaration of your lordship is too much. That the scripture says in Philippians 2 that because you humbled yourself, you've been highly exalted. You now sit at the right hand of the Father on high in heaven as our high priest, having become better and a better name, a name by which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on earth, in heaven, and under the earth. In the same way you ask us to trust you, your clear words, that Lord, in this is sure and steadfast security and a guarantee. Lord, let us set our eyes on you and on your kingdom and not on the things of this world. Be our vision, O oh Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.